Welcome to the TappingSolution.com's Bits and Pieces podcast, where we share information designed to change your life. Whether you're new to EFT tapping or an old hand, you'll find simple, inspiring information to brighten your day, motivate you, and help you live your best life. To learn more about tapping, visit thetappingsolution.com. Now, here's today's clip. Hi there. In today's podcast, we have a fantastic clip from my sister Jessica's Hay House radio show. I hope you enjoy the clip. I'm so excited because tapping and meditation are a match made in heaven. And today I'm going to teach you the practice that I do every single night uh, before I go to bed. If you notice that I feel um, a little, if I sound a little bit strange today, maybe, maybe you don't notice, but I do have the sniffles. And last night I was reminded as to why I love meditating so much. So I spent the entire weekend playing with my nephews and niece and played with them. And Malachi and Lucas have a cough and they're little kids. So you play with them and they just cough like literally in your face. And so they were coughing in my face all weekend. But I thought, whatever, I don't care. I'm so happy to be with them. I was playing with them and I had this great time. And then last night, I was feeling just a little bit uh, cranky, to be honest. I was feeling a bit moody. And I began to tap and I felt calmer. And then I began to meditate. What I love about meditation for me is I feel like sometimes I can get so caught up in life that I forget to check in with myself to see how I feel. A lot of us are on autopilot that we don't even know how we feel. We don't even know if we're feeling bad or feeling good. We get so caught up that all of a sudden we get really sick or something uh, happens in our life to wake us up to say something needs to change. For me, meditation keeps me in the present moment so that I can begin to hear my own body and my inner wisdom. So last night after I finished tapping and I began to meditate, I had the realization that I didn't feel well. I thought, well, you know what? There's something... I'm not sick yet, but I feel like I'm fighting something. And then I was able to go and get that green drink and take my supplements and drink lots of water today and take care of myself. And it's one of the reasons I rarely get sick because I'm able to catch it before it really gets bad. And it's a silly, it's a silly example, but I think it's profound. I think so often we don't realize we're not feeling well until it's too late and we've neglected our body. So today is all about uh, tuning in. It's about meditation and meditation is a big buzzword right now. And a lot of us want to do it, but we don't know what that really means or we try and we find ourselves getting frustrated. So uh, this next hour is all about busting the myths around meditation so that you can uh, really benefit from this practice. So to lead the way, we will be speaking to Ashley Turner and I will actually introduce her right now. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much, Jess. It's so great to be here with you guys. I'm so happy that though I'm ha that I happened to interview you right now when yesterday I had this big, oh my goodness, I, I'm not moody. There's nothing wrong with me. 
Like, do, do you ever, yeah. do you ever notice like that you think your whole life is falling apart? You just get moody and then you meditate and you're like, oh no, this is what's really going on because you get that inner wisdom. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I had that um, aha moment today. So I'm excited to talk about meditation, but Ashley, you are such a superstar. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you started off um, with doing a lot of yoga and now you're doing incredible work around meditation. Uh, tell me just about this path that you've been on. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long path and a, a wonderful journey. I've been teaching yoga, um, mainly here in Los Angeles for the last 15 years. And then, traveling around the country and around the world, leading retreats and workshops. Um, and about, I would say, six years into teaching, I realized that I wanted to go back to school and get my master's in Western psychology and counseling psychology and become a psychotherapist as well because I had seen, I sort of dove into a lot of the Eastern traditions in yoga and meditation and um, understood that and had a really incredible study there. But but really didn't have a handle on the Western perspective of mind and consciousness and and neuroscience, and I really wanted to integrate both. So I got my master's at Pacifica Graduate Institute, which is an incredible school near Santa Barbara that specializes in depth psychology, a lot of Jungian psychology for those on the call that um, are interested in that, and Joseph Campbell's work and archetypal work and archetypal psychology and then wrote my master's thesis on the integration of yoga and psychology. And, you know, because of that, coming out of that, I really wanted to bring more awareness to the practice of meditation. I think in my experience, a lot of people get into yoga, you know, for their physical body to get strong and flexible. Right. And eventually, you know, many people do want to go on and explore the deeper realms of the practice in meditation and self-study and self-inquiry. Um, and my experience personally is that meditation is, for me, definitely the panacea for everything. In other words, any struggle that you're going through, whether it's relationship, career, family, even health and wellness, um, understanding how your mind works and beginning to train the mind and choose our thoughts wisely is really the starting and the ending point of what creates the quality of our life. So I'm really passionate about helping people get these tools in their daily life. And and the other thing I noticed, as you said, meditation is obviously such a buzzword. There's so much incredible science coming out around mindfulness and meditation, but a lot of people still don't know how to meditate. And that was what I, you know, when I would recommend it to clients or students or friends, the first thing they say is, I don't know how to meditate. You know, I can't meditate. My mind's all over the place. And so right. They, they really imagine like, they imagine like the half naked Indian yogi yeah. on a hilltop for hours and they think, yes, at hours at a time. And they think, I just don't have the time or the patience for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really wanted to demystify the practice. And so that's my current passion right now. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to do a lot of demystifying today, but I'd love to learn more about the why when it comes to meditation, because it's a practice that is part of my daily life, but anytime we want to start something new, we have to have a strong why. We have to really understand mm -hmm. the purpose and the benefits, because I think there's a lot of people that go, it would be nice to meditate, but I don't right. really look at it as a priority in my life. Why is it something that we should look at as more of a priority? What are the benefits? Yeah, 
Well, it's such a great point, and I have one of my dearest friends who was on my conference, um, Meditation 101. He, his name is Matthew Froome. He's out of Boulder. He's an incredible um, younger meditation teacher coming up, and he studied literally. I mean, it, it's a radical story. He was living in a cabin in Big Sur for years practicing meditation, and he's only 40 years old. And he said that the Tibetan monks that he studied with would talk about the practice of meditation 20% of the time, and then 80% of the time they talk about the benefits, because the benefits are what motivate you, and we know that it's hard to change habits. So, um, so, you know, there's a lot of scientific research that's been done, and when you understand what happens, particularly in the nervous system, and I know it's very similar, you know, effects with the tapping, in the nervous system, when we meditate and when we just start to slow down our breath, breathe a little deeper, become a little more mindful, we actually shift our nervous system from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic. So the sympathetic mm-hmm. is that which is... I'm going to stop you for one second, Ashley. It seems like your um, volume changed. I'm not sure if you can speak closer to the phone. Is it too like better? Close? Perfect. That's perfect. Okay, cool. So go ahead. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, yes, shifting the nervous system from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system. And really, um, it moves us from the fight or flight to the relaxation response. And that has a whole host of benefits physiologically. It starts to release the feel-good hormones, oxytocin, serotonin. It starts to minimize and flush out the stress hormones of adrenaline and cortisol. And it therefore reduces inflammation in the body. So it literally has a huge effect on our physical health and reducing inflammation, as you know, and I'm sure most of your callers if listening to this program, you know, familiar with the tapping solution in a very similar way. It, it really can have a profound effect on even chronic pain and illness and relieving a lot of um, the symptoms of that. So right. it's really powerful in that way. There's also been a lot of studies, you know, there was a recent study at Mass General, Massachusetts General Hospital that showed a 40 to 60% um, reduction in blood pressure after um, the students had been meditating for three months. So that's huge. Those numbers are enormous. Um, And also, you know, a recent study at the University of Utah that showed that it really lowers... um, our physiological activation at bedtime, so it can really help with people that have difficulty sleeping, insomnia, anxiety. Um, so those are just a few. I mean, we can definitely go on. There's a whole host of psychological benefits, and now that we're understanding how it actually changes the brain structure, and there's new neural pathways that are laid down, and the different parts of the brain that are associated with a non-vigilant um, our non-vigilant part of our brain, the, the brain that's relaxed and not on guard and defended, um, that starts to fire our emotional well-being center. Actually, there is tissue that tissue growth that is seen over you know eight weeks of meditation, which isn't even that long. So it's incredible. It really is incredible the way the body responds and begins to recover when we give ourselves mm-hmm. the time to relax, and we can see it. You know, I have a 
my sister-in-law studies hormones and with her clients, she does hormone testing and she sees the difference in someone's hormones when they begin to start using these kind of stress relief techniques. And it's, mm -hmm. it's incredibly significant. And, you know, the research is just so important so that we can kind of, we can really get it. We can get how important it is because we're, I think things like this, because they seem a little bit out there and also sometimes too simple. We think that the answers always have to be very complex in order to get results. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, and, and meditation is something that is uh, profoundly and simply powerful. So I want to talk about um, the other side, which are some of the myths that people have around meditation that we should just bust right away. Yeah, there's, I talk about at least five really common myths. And the first myth is so basic, it, it's almost like we just overlook it that in meditation, you know, my mind should be calm and quiet. And so if I'm not calm and relaxed, I'm not meditating or I'm not meditating properly. And that's actually a complete erroneous, um, you know, concept of what meditation is. Meditation is really about befriending our mind and understanding how to work with our mind. Because all of us have a chaotic mind. That's actually the nature of the thinking conscious mind is it's analyzing, categorizing, judging, you know, all over the place, trying to fit everything into some sort of a box and into all these different, you know, categories. And so when we meditate, it's really about just beginning to observe the nature of the mind. And so we first start by just understanding, again, befriending because softening our perception about our mind and when really building what's called the role of the witness. And when we can build that third party, that witness mind, and just observe, oh, this is thinking mind. I heard many years ago a great technique of just when you're sitting and you're thinking, and this, is, this goes for not even just necessarily sitting on your meditation cushion, but this could be during your daily life, and you notice your mind starting to trip, or maybe it starts to get critical of yourself or critical of someone else, you can just say, just label it for exactly what it is. Oh, critical mind. You know, or you start to worry about the future. Oh, worrying. Or you start to obsess about the past. Oh, thinking about the past. You know, so you're just noticing the different techniques that your mind tends to do. So just... I love the power of... I, I just love that. Uh, that's a great tool right there, the power of giving it a title so we can yeah. disassociate from it. Yeah, I think it's really important to, as you said, sort of, you know, create a little space and disassociate. And the basic tenet is in meditation and in consciousness really is I am not my mind. You know, every thought mm. that I think isn't necessarily true. In fact, you know, very few of our thoughts are true. What is truth, you know? <laughs> right. So what, just observing that just because I have a feeling or a thought, it doesn't mean it's a fact. I and love that. Yeah. One of the things that I that I started doing with a girlfriend, I was talking to a girlfriend who um, is in the public eye and she's kind of a, she's a fitness person. So there is a lot of pressure for her to look a certain way. And so we did some work together um, and we would talk a lot about body confidence. I mean, it's a perfect example of no matter, you know, what size you are, it, you know, losing weight doesn't bring you peace. It's the mm -hmm. relationship with your body that brings you peace. And so 
we decided that if we ever hear a voice that's telling us that um, our bodies are not enough, we labeled the voice the executive. We did this over dinner because mm-hmm. I was saying, I was telling her, she was talking to me about her challenges. And I said, you know, I hear what you're saying and what you're thinking in your own mind. And it doesn't sound like you. It sounds like things that you picked up. You know, she was an actress before. And I was like, it just sounds like this mean executive. Um, and it, but it's not your truth. So we gave it a title. Uh, but I didn't even know that was a thing. We just decided to do that dinner. But now I know it's a thing. And, uh, and it's a great tool to, to have to be able to label those things and realize they aren't ours to be able to be that observer. That's huge. Yeah. You know, I love the analogy. I love everything you just said. And I love the analogy of, I don't even know where I got this, but sitting, imagine sitting at um, a boardroom and you're at a board meeting, say you're, you know, you're running a company and you have the head of HR and you have the head of marketing and you have the head of um, design and sales, et cetera. And then you have the CEO. So if you think of the CEO position as the wisdom mind, right, that's what we're after is how do we connect to actually the wisdom, discerning, the wise mind that can see from many different perspectives and make a clear choice. So we're, we want to access that wisdom mind. That's the CEO. But then in the meeting, there's all these other voices. And so internally, we have this inner boardroom and we have, you know, the bitchy teenager, or we have the three-year-old right. that's whining, you know, or we have the girl that just wants to be loved, or we have, you know, sort of, um, I have one of these archetypes that one of my therapists used to call the debutante. You know, the debutante's playing the game now, and she's the one that's trying to take control. So you just start to notice which voice is, you know, which voice is that. And a lot of those voices, as you said, are internalized voices. They're not even originally ours. They may have been internalized from our conditioning, from our parents, from a coach or, you know, a teacher or something like that. Um, and so we just start to recognize what, whose voice is that? And then let's turn it back over to the wisdom mind, you know, the Buddha nature, and make a decision from there. So I find that that um, is helpful with understanding the different voices. Right. I love that. All right. Well, so that the first myth myth that you covered, again, is that myth that you have to be completely at peace with your mind. Is that right? That you're not allowed to have a thought? Yes, exactly. So your mind is active. That's part of the nature of the mind. It's probably not going to shift that much. You may get some more space between your thoughts, but we still are always going to have a thinking mind. Right. And, And maybe this is a great place for me to mention how I combine tapping with meditation, if I could. Um, yes, I would love if, that. If I, so my, my nighttime practice, uh, so I, people tend to be different. Sometimes uh, people can experience stress at different times of the day, but it's usually, it's very common that we um, kind of have a pattern of when we experience stress. And I even got my hormone and my hormones tested and my cortisol level tested just out of curiosity mm-hmm. and saw that my cortisol level always goes up. It tends to go up. I feel more stress in the evenings, which I thought was so interesting because that's when I make sure to do my tapping practice because I know that about myself. So I know that it's, you know, if I'm having a hard time, it's the evenings where I need the extra support. And so what I do is I uh, take out my yoga mat and I, you know, I stretch for just a second just to get in my body and feel centered. And then 
you know, I, I sit down and I take a few deep breaths and I begin to, it's one or two things. I either let myself, you know, just see where my thoughts go. And if my thoughts are on something in the current moment that is stressing me out, I begin to start doing some tapping. If I feel okay, what I, what I'll do is I'll imagine something that I want. So maybe it's, you know, maybe you're comfortable speaking in stage in front of 500 people, but now you want to imagine a thousand people and all of a sudden you feel that tension in your body. And so I imagine something that I want and I notice if there's any sensation in my body that doesn't feel comfortable with me achieving that, or it doesn't feel safe. And then I begin to just do some tapping rounds on, even though it doesn't feel safe to shine this bright or to uh, do this interview or to get on that stage, I love and accept myself um, and tap until I feel calm. And then that's when I go you know, deeper into my meditation process. And again, sometimes thoughts come in and then they go out. And other times I do feel like I hit these moments of just being so present within my own body. But for me, the the tapping helps set me up for those uh, deeper meditation practice than I think I would be able to experience on my own. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, the tapping is sort of clearing out. I, I think of it like the pond scum on the top of our mind. Yeah. Inevitable, you know, stories and stuff and self-doubt and, and the inevitable worry, the inevitable things that come up. And so the tapping really helps to clear that off, to skim it off the surface. And then when you sit to meditate, you have a little bit more access to what's lying underneath. Right. And I love that you are, are busting this myth because when I meditate, it too, it's often when I get my best ideas of what mm-hmm. I should do. Or when I'm having trouble deciding something, if I go into meditation, uh, suddenly... I just feel like I'm in a clear place to make that decision. So I'm happy I'm not doing anything wrong because I, I wasn't even, didn't totally know that. I thought, well, maybe I'm meditating and then at moments not meditating, but it's all meditation, right? If we just are with our yeah. thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's just observing the mind, paying attention to, you know, what's coming up in a non-judgmental way. That's really the key in mindfulness and meditation is that we're holding a non-judgmental state of being, a state of mind. And so whether it's non-judgment around your feelings, your emotions, sensations, thoughts, other people, just beginning to neutralize the whole scene. Right. I love that. Okay. So what's another myth we can bust? I don't have time to meditate. (laughs) That's a big one. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I love what our friend Gabby says. She says, do you have time to feel like shit? You know, right, like, right. you know, and that's just so the New Yorker Gabby and it's perfect because it's true. It's like we have all this time to worry and stress and how much energy are you actually spending every day on worry or stress or things that you can't control, self-criticism, self-doubt. And, you know, can you find five or ten minutes during the day? And the answer for everyone is yes. I mean, if Oprah can meditate you know, yes. And I say that, you know, Barack Obama, if he can work out, you know, you can work out. If he can, President of the United States can find the time to do it, so can you, you know. And and it's interesting because I interviewed Russell Simmons for my Meditation 101, and he's, you know, an incredible mogul and um, multi, you know, tiered entrepreneur. And it was so fascinating to listen to someone like that who 
you know, I can't think of anyone that has a busier life. And he's a father and he has two children and, you know, runs all these different companies. And he attributes all of it to meditation. And he says, you know, it really all began to click when I started sitting down and meditating. And just, I know the people ask, you know, he was saying, people ask him all the time, how do you get all this stuff done? How do you even have the time in the day for this? And as he says, as Deepak Chopra says, you know, as anyone who's meditated consistently for a while can probably attest, we become much more efficient when we meditate because, again, a lot of that wasted energy in our mental energy, which then becomes emotional, physical energy, is not being wasted. It's cleared out of the way. And our choices in yoga, we talk about really the function of yoga and discernment and wisdom is about being able to take the next right action. So it it just moves out of the way a lot of the filler in our lives, and we're just taking the next right action, and we become clear what that action is when we're sitting to meditate. So you can start with five minutes, you know, five minutes a day. Everyone can find five minutes a day. Now, the challenge is that there's certain people listening, and I tend to have this tendency too, the perfectionism tendency, where we think, well, (laughs) if I can't do it for an hour, then it's just not worth it. Does it really make a difference? So what would you say to someone who who is hearing you say five minutes and they're thinking, yeah, but does it really make that much of a difference? And Mm -hmm. and what what, what is the ideal time to meditate? Well, you know, I, I would love to recommend people sit for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. You know, when I sit, I try to sit for 30 minutes. And I actually struggle with that same thing because I think, oh, it's got to be 30 minutes. But even just starting your day with five or 10 minutes, it's as one of my teachers used to say, consistency, you know, consistency is so much more important than quantity. You know, it's better to meditate five minutes every single day or five, six days a week than it is to meditate a half an hour every two weeks. You know, and the reason is it's just like working out you're literally doing bicep curls for your brain. You're literally training your mind to be focused, to be in open, non-judgmental awareness, and it's like you're flexing that muscle. And so the more consistently you do that, and there's, you know, this is the neuroscience of it, actually the dendrites are extending in your nervous system, you're laying down new pathways, you're literally forging that new gray matter we know now with neuroplasticity that new tissues in the brain will grow and are growing. And so, it's you know, the consistency is more important. Than, I like to say start with five minutes, and if you can, add one minute every week. So, you know, the first week is five minutes, the second week is six minutes, then seven minutes, and, you know, get up to 20 minutes if you can. That's great. Right. So, great. So those were um, two meditation myths. Do you have any? Well, you said you actually had five, right? I mean, there's several, but yeah. Well, well, let's do another. Let's do another one because then I want to go into how do we actually meditate? So what's another myth? Exactly. Um, I would say, you know, I, a lot of people say something like, I don't know if it's working. I don't know if I'm seeing any results. And it's very similar to life. You know, meditation is a mirror. We're just observing our mind and our mind is the, you know, microcosm to the world's macrocosm. It's, you know, our whole inner reality is just a reflection of that outer world. In other words, 
meditation, like anything else, it unfolds in its own time and its own pace. So meditation can, you know, and there's very different kinds of meditation specifically to heal emotions or change thought patterns, um, become less reactive. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, again, it's just like working out. You're going to change baby steps, change the trajectory. So studies actually show that positive neurological changes and neural integration can occur within the first few meditation sessions, you know, in a pretty short amount of time. But again, the consistent small effort is is more effective than sporadic. So you can ask yourself questions. You know, again, it's important. One of my friends recommends starting a benefit book, you know, or just noting maybe in your journal or after you sit with meditation. You know, our friend Terry Cole says, she likes to complete meditation, but then sit for two or three minutes and just observe, just observe, you know, how do I feel? How do I feel differently than when I started? You know, are you feeling a little bit more positive, motivated, upbeat in your life? Um, are you able to, quote unquote, let go a little more easily? Are you sleeping better? You know, these are the signs that meditation is working. Right. Uh, well, it's good to know. Uh, so, I want to, I showed you my pra- my evening practice. What does your meditation practice look like? My meditation practice, I really, well, ideally I'm practicing both in the morning and in the evening, but realistically <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> happen every day. Um, I really like to practice in the morning. I like to get up earlier. I, I mean, I, I definitely get up earlier than my boyfriend, but I like to you know, get up in enough time that I have, I would say, at least a half an hour. So I get up, I kind of have my morning routine, maybe I make my tea or, you know, brush my teeth, et cetera, and then I come right back in. And it's sort of like working out for me. Like if I don't do it early in the morning, the chances start to decrease as the day goes on that it's going to actually happen. So, um, and I really like to sit in front of my altar. I have a few, you know, little items that are really inspiring and, you know, precious to me. Maybe I'll pull a tarot card. Um, and then I have a certain mudra, the hand gestures that I do, which I learned in the very first yoga um, teacher training that I did, which is it's a beautiful mudra. It's quite extensive, actually, but um, it's like 30 different mudras all put together in this flow. And it really helps, you know, the, the key, I think, for me in meditating, and I've heard this, is having some sort of little ritual because a little ritual actually tricks the mind that it's moving into a different way of being. You know, it's, you're moving into a different state of mind. So these little things like sitting down, putting the blanket out, putting my meditation cushion out, lighting the candles, maybe a little stage, doing my mudras, and then closing my eyes and starting to meditate. Those, All those little things leading up to it are helping to trigger my conscious mind into submission. Like, okay, now we're going to, it's sort of like if you have a baby, you know, um, you start p- turning down the lights at 7 o'clock and the music right. is talking more softly. Like you train the baby that now it's going to be time for bed. You know, you're training your mind that now it's time for meditation, a different state of being. And so I usually sit for there's some great apps. I love the app. It's called Insight Timer, and it's little Tibetan bowls, and you just set, super easy, you just set the timer for however long you have. Um, you know, again, I try to do 20 or 30 minutes. Sometimes I don't have that much time, 
and um, and then just set the timer, and then it it goes off on your own, and um, and you know it's just sitting for me. My practice is really an open mind practice. It's an open awareness practice. Um, sometimes I'll work with a mantra. You know, if I'm going through something really specific, uh, a challenging emotional time, then I will choose a mantra that's really effective to transform and transmute that emotion. Um, maybe a little tapping, but most of the time when I sit down, it's just an, really with the intention to open into my own um, higher mind, wisdom mind, sort of the universal consciousness and connect to that and just be an open vessel for whatever wants to come through. So as you were teaching us your practice, I think we all got a lot of great tips on what we can do ourselves. But for someone who's just brand new to this um, this whole concept, how would you walk them through how to meditate? Well, I would definitely say that, you know, again, consistency is really helpful, and that's in any habit, right? So if you can set a place, set a dedicated place, that is just for meditating. So at the foot of my bed, I have a very low shelf. I literally got it at Ikea. It's like a suspended shelf that I have created an altar with pictures and images and, you know, the stage and the little bell, whatever. But it can be really simple. You can have a table in, you know, in a bedroom, in a closet. I mean, when I'm, you know, at my boyfriend's house in Aspen, I literally, there's not really a separate room and he always sleeps later than I do. So I literally set up an altar in the closet and I, I just put a little table with one little image and that's the place I sit and meditate so that if you have a specific place and preferably a specific time as well, like if you can get up, you know, every morning at seven or six thirty or whatever it is for you or at night, um, then just that becomes a part of your day. So um, it might, is, go ahead. Oh, go, no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. I was just going to say, you know, it's really helpful if you're just beginning to, I, I, there's so many incredible guided meditations out there. So yeah. I would highly recommend there's, in, I'm actually working on a couple different meditation apps right now, one with Guyam and one with Mind Valley. And, you know, there's so many, just Google and I can, you know, give you guys a ton more resources, but there's some great meditation apps where you just download a, a ton of different guided meditations. And that way, if you're just learning, you don't have to think about it. You know, it's like, let me just, Listen, let me just put on a 10 minute guided meditation and listen to that. Right. That's what I was going to ask you, because it seems like meditation, the actual act of meditation, it seems like a, a difficult thing to describe of what you're actually doing, because it's almost the <laughs> presence of not doing of not of just, uh, you know, of just kind of being with yourself. And so mm -hmm. a, a guided meditation is definitely a great start if someone is doing a practice by themselves, how do you begin? I mean, is there a way to articulate what what you're doing in that process to get yourself into that meditative state? Mm -hmm. And how do you know, you know, that you're even in that state? Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of goes back to the myth of, am I meditating? I'm not doing this right, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, right. There is no doing it right. You know, there's not a specific, you know, thing that you're supposed to feel or, you know, again, the mind is a mirror and it's different every single day. So it's really about how present can you be with what is happening. And so there are definitely some, you know, some specific 
you know, my attitudes, I guess, that are really helpful. Again, one of them is just, we're just practicing presence. So being present with the present moment in the now. And I find one of the best ways to do that is just focusing on the breath because the breath is always right here, right now. So focusing on the breath, maybe just observing your body. Um, and then the second really big thing is in, in, you're intentionally paying attention to the present moment. So a really big um, piece of this is non-judgment and the quality of awareness that is just observing, impartial, neutral, not needing to label thoughts, feelings, sensations as good or bad, right or wrong, just observing. And that's where it's like, it's so simple that it's almost, you know, mystifying because it's like, right. that it's actually what you're doing is just so, and it trains us then in our relationships, in our life to not add on or take anything away, you know, from any experience. So something happens, someone says something, I don't have to spin a whole story around it. Oh, they just said this. Okay. I don't really know what they meant by that. And it doesn't really matter, you know, um, or this thing happened, you know, I, I use a good example, like, um, you know, people, I have a lot of, you know, clients and my girls that are in their twenties, thirties are dating. And this is an example. You go on a date and then he doesn't call you the next day. And so that's it. He just didn't call you the next day. It doesn't mean anything. You don't know if it means that he doesn't like you or he doesn't want to go out with you. Maybe he got busy. Maybe his grandmother passed away. you like, who knows? It just is what it is. And we just start to train ourselves to see things for what they are, not more and not less. So it's like, it's basically like bringing your mind to the gym. You know, we work out for health. (laughs) Meditation is, is how we keep our mind uh, sane. It's, it seems like, um, to get out of that monkey mind. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that monkey mind for someone who really struggles with detaching from their thoughts and from meditating. What are some of, what are some, uh, mind traps that we should be aware of? Mm -hmm. Well, there are, you know, there are many different mind traps. I think, you know, it's, it's important again to remember the present moment. And so any kind of, you know, the two sort of ends of the spectrum of mind traps are anxiety or depression. Anxiety is really an overactive quality where our mind is spinning, we're worried. Anxiety is all about the future. We are projecting into the future something that may or may not ever happen. So it's an illusion because it's not happening. It's not actually happening. So anxiety, worry, all fear... Those are all experiences and and emotions of the future. And then depression, anger, resentment, those are emotions of the past. So obsessing about the past, what someone did or didn't do, what you did or didn't do, um, holding on to that. Neither one of them are in the present moment. So when you really liberate yourself to be present with what is, and this is a radical step. I mean, this is not easy. Like, it's a very simple thing to say, but it's not easy at all. We know that. Right. And, but it's so liberating to actually, it requires us to continually investigate our stories and change our stories and be present with what actually is. 
Uh, so I'd love to get an example of, of what this looks like. If someone is struggling with a lot of anxiety around their finances, mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. a great tool to start doing is to give that anxiety voice and to begin to tap. But when it comes to, you know, just meditating, if we feel uh, that anxiety of our finances in the moment, how do we begin to create some shifts and to, like you said, reframe it to see another story? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I want to just start with the point that you made, which which is why I love tapping so much, because I do think, and, and I do that, I recommend it for my clients, along with a couple other techniques. It's really important to dislodge and diffuse those voices. It's not like we want to repress them or just ignore them or minimize them. If it's a voice of anxiety, let's say, we want to actually give it a voice. So the tapping is so great because what it does is it dislodges not only the thought and the feeling, but, you know, the charge underneath of that, the charge that is literally sitting in our nervous system. Our nervous system is wired, it's vigilant, it's defended, it's, you know, anxious. So we start to literally turn on the faucet and let that energy run off. And that's what's happening. That's why tapping is so great. And I think there is some, you know, I, I really think that they so go hand in hand. And, you know, this is sort of a shadow piece that I just want to say about meditation. I think there's sort of a myth that we can just meditate our way through everything. And I actually, as a Western psychotherapist, don't necessarily believe that. I think it's really important that we process our emotions and our feelings in a very healthy way. And again, that's one of the ways that tapping comes in among many other practices, yoga, physical practice as well. Right. Um, I mean, like I, like I said, when I was meditating yesterday and I was just feeling emotionally off and then I had that awareness of, oh no, I think my body's fighting something right now. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to, to then do something about it. Then I was able to take the steps of going, all right, well, let me drink more water. Let me get more green juice. Let me cancel my plans tonight um, in order to take care of myself. So, you know, that action came, but to be honest, if I didn't spend that time uh, at the end of the night, just meditating and checking in with myself, I don't think I would have noticed what was really wrong. I just, yeah. I think I would have woke up maybe two days from now really sick mm-hmm. in bed and not, you know, and feeling like I got run over by a truck. And I think that happens to a lot of people because we don't even, we're not even aware of how we're doing. Yeah. So this is such an important point that you're making, which is that, you know, we can't, we we actually we need to create more space and connectedness where we just have time to check in, as you said. Because what happens, you know, as I you know was talking about earlier with the yoga, the practice is about the next right action. And you were able because you created that space in your own life, in your own mind, in your own body to discern what is the next right action. And the next right action is not for me to just bulldoze over this irritability, which is really the first stage of, you know, an imbalance in my system of potentially getting a cold. Instead of bulldozing over it, I'm actually spending some time with it, just asking, what is it? Ah, now I'm clear what it is. Of course, that makes sense. The next right action is not to go out last night. It's to stay in and take care of yourself. And then that's such a genius example, because if we can apply that to all these other realms in our life, to our finances. So that's to circle back to your original question. You know, if we apply that, so taking the time, and I think what people 
sometimes the anxiety can get stirred up even more when we sit down to meditate. Like, oh, I really don't have time to meditate because i got to work to pay off my credit card bill, you know? But what happens is if we can create that space and we understand the power that comes from that, which is the wisdom mind, then we start to see what happens when we take actions that are more skillful, that are more aligned with our truth. And when we take those actions, they're wiser, they're more effective, they're more efficient, and then we can see the end result in many different ways. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that if we're starting this, it can be really uncomfortable. You know, I talk about in my book, um, exercising and one of the reasons I think so many people struggle with exercising is because it puts them face to face with their own self neglect. If you haven't been exercising for a long Mm -hmm. time and suddenly you begin to move your body, you begin to notice your body doesn't feel good. And, and you've been really good at kind of ignoring that sensation, yeah. but now you're yeah. having a physical activity where you have to be present and it's incredibly painful because again, you're, you're faced with your own self-neglect. It's the same thing with meditating. The moment we start to, that's why we get so busy. A lot of times we create these to-do lists because it distracts our attention from how bad we're actually feeling. And so I think that we have to stop uh, judging ourselves for our emotions and to actually get even a a bit excited when we begin to realize um, how we're feeling, even if it's not pleasant, because in that moment, that's when change can happen. But we have to allow ourselves to be a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point. I mean, what's interesting that as a psychotherapist, literally in school, um, ethically, you know, there's many different bullet points that we're supposed to go through. The very first session, the very beginning of the first session, you know, things like this is a confidential session and da-da-da. And one of the things that we are legally bound to say as psychotherapists is, you know, things may actually feel worse before they get better because you are stirring up some stuff and maybe there is emotion or thought that has been repressed or hasn't been dealt with um, unprocessed emotion that needs to come up and out and so it can be um, a little bit anxiety provoking but to also know that you're going to get to the other side and there are a lot of resources and a lot of tools to help you get there a lot of support All right. Well, um, Ashley, it was a real pleasure to interview you. And I hope you visit us again, Ashley. Thank you so much. 